Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the services of God and the promises. They have so much. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came. Who is over all. God. Blessed forever. Amen. We ask Heavenly Father your direction. In our consideration of your word, may our hearts be open. We pray that we might see our Savior for who he really is. And may we experience the grace of God through Christ, the Savior. Bless our thoughts this morning for your honor and glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I get into the message this morning, you may be thinking that I am wasting our time. You may be thinking that I am preaching to the choir. But as you can see, we have no choir back here. All I've got is you. I have something to teach which you may think is unnecessary because you firmly believe these things. And that's fine. My theme is the deity of Christ. Is Jesus the Son of God and God the Son? Is he the Lord Jesus Christ? I know that he is. I hope that you believe that he is as well. So why am I teaching a subject which is already fully accepted? Because it's not fully accepted. 93% of the world... 93% of the people of this globe are found within the bounds of five general religions. According to recent statistics, 31% of the people of this world profess to be Christians in one fashion or another. It's the largest religion in the world. The second largest is Islam, 25% of the population, followed by Hinduism and secular, non-religious people at about 15% each. And then there are half a billion Buddhists, and I will just throw into the mix the 14.7 million Jews that there are in the world. I need not tell you that the agnostics and the atheists, the followers of Islam, the Hindus and the, the Buddhists, do not believe that Jesus is God. They may consider him to be a fine religious leader and someone to be listened to from time to time, but they do not believe that he is God. Here is the thing that I'd like to thumbtack to your mind this morning. According to a 2020 survey, 30% of evangelical Christians do not believe in the deity of Christ. I'm talking about evangelical Christians, the Baptists among them. 
That is the statistic for those Christians. But then we leave them and we go to the mainline denominations, the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, even fewer of them believe in the deity of Christ. In other words, perhaps 50% of professing Christians do not believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus. Why so many? Why so many? It's because their parents and grandparents, and then they themselves, did not hear teaching and preaching like I would like to share with you here this morning. Each of us need to hear this message every once in a while to keep this doctrine fresh in our hearts and in our minds. The alternative is calcified hearts, resulting in the eternal death of our children and grandchildren. The deity of Christ is an absolutely essential truth. It is a part of salvation. Not a direct part, shall we say, but you remove it, you take a big chunk out of the gospel. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Second John 9. It has been often said that the Bible doesn't try to prove the existence of God. It's something that the Bible assumes. And it assumes that we know that there is a God. And that is quite natural because despite the pravity of the human heart, we all know instinctively that there, there must be some sort of God. It's only through a determined effort that someone can force himself into atheism or semi-atheistic agnosticism. And I'm not sure that a true atheist really exists. As it was pointed out in our lesson briefly this morning, uh, we all have some sort of God. For many people, it is right here uh, in our own hearts. But then, oh, some people worship science, some people worship politics, some people worship knowledge. We all have some sort of God. It's it's instinctive. It's a part of us. Well, in a similar fashion, the Apostle Paul doesn't go out of his way to prove the deity of Christ. He assumes it. He is writing to these people here and he is trusting that the people, these Christians who are there in Rome, understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is God. Blessed forever. Who is over all? We'll come back to that in just a minute. He's writing to a group of people who should have known that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And to be the Son of God means that Christ is divine. That he is deity. But that doesn't mean that the unbelieving Romans or even the average Jews which reject Jesus as God believed what Paul was saying. And just because you believe that Jesus is Jehovah, that does not mean that your neighbor does or your grandson does. 
And that leads us to the question, can you prove to someone else, or at least can you give him some logical arguments that Jesus is God? I'm talking to you. Can you do it? Perhaps as many as 90% of the people of this world need to learn that Christ Jesus is God. So how can we teach them? What can we show to them? When it comes to the deity of Christ, we should probably begin with the direct Bible references. Those statements. From the lips of Jesus himself, we learn that he knew himself to be the Son of God, that is, God the Son. And this is important because a great many naysayers tell us Jesus never said that sort of thing. That that was something the disciples came up with and applied to their master. Perhaps if we took each statement and separated them, isolated them, it might, there might not be a great uh, weight of argument. But when we lay verse against verse, sometimes upon another verse, the, the evidence is there. It leaves no room for doubt. Jesus is God. John chapter 10, verse number 23. Please turn there. I'm going to take you to some scriptures. If you have a little notepad, you might write these down. You might need to share them with your grandson someday. John chapter 10, verse number 23. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. It was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, of who I am. But you believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Yeah. How is this possible? Jesus and his Father are one. There are certainly different persons. My grandfather has passed away. I no longer have my grandfather. He's not me. And my father has passed away. Obviously, I'm still here. I'm not my grandfather. I'm not my father. And my son lives in Tennessee. We are, or have been, four separate beings. While God the Father and God the Son are different persons, they are one in essence. They are not both Canadian. They are not both American. They're not both Jews. They're not both Caucasian or even Hebrew. They are both deity. They are both God. The one and only deity. I and my Father 
are one. And how did the Jews understand what Jesus was saying? How did they interpret what he was saying? As we read just a few minutes ago, they took up stones to stone him again. Jesus said, why? Why are you ready to stone me? Uh, Is it what I have done? The Jews answered him saying, for good work we stone thee not. We stone you for blasphemy, because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. When Jesus said, I and my Father are one, they understood him to say, because he was saying it, I and my Father are God. Furthermore, Jesus didn't correct them. Oh no, oh no, don't, don't, don't throw those stones. Let me, let me rephrase, let me restate that. There's nothing like that. A similar passage may be seen in John 5. Turn back there, four or five sheets in your Bible. Verse number 16. John 5, 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him earlier. This is not the first time. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. He had worked a miracle on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh here too, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal to God. That's how they understood it. That's how they should have understood it. They were right, except that they were wrong in thinking Christ was not who he said he was. Even when I lived with my father, I never was foolish enough to claim that all that belonged to him was equally mine. He had his stuff, I had my stuff. For example, I had a bedroom that was mine. My sister had a bedroom, that was hers. My parents had a bedroom, that was theirs. Things that were in that last bedroom belonged to them, did not belong to me. I very rarely went into my parents' bedroom. But in John 16, 15, the Lord Jesus said, All things that the Father hath are mine. Everything that God the Father possesses is mine. That's a strong statement. In effect, he said, he and I share everything equally. What sort of things? Everything. Creatorship. The preservation of the creation. The creation itself belongs to Christ as much as to God the Father. They share life and glory. The fullness of the Godhead bodily was in Christ Jesus. And so much more. The declarations of Jesus prove that he believed himself to be God. And if he was not God, then he was a liar. And we have no business honoring the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he is God and that he said that he was God. There are other things, but but let's move on to consider the direct statements of others in the Word of God. 
I once read of two men that were arguing over the deity of Christ. One of them said, if it is true, then the Bible should make it plain how easy it is for people who don't want to see what the Bible says because of their preconceived ideas. Anyway, the other man replied, what would you like it to say? And the first said, it should say, Jesus Christ is God. And his friend replied, that's a fortunate choice of words because that is exactly what it does say. Things like 1 John 5.20, if you want to jot that down or turn to it. 1 John 5.20. John, who had spent years with the Savior, is looking back and he says, We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, it might be argued by some that this is the true God are words referring to God the Father. But the nearest antecedent to the word this is Jesus Christ. And by the laws of grammar, whether you're talking about Greek or Hebrew or English, the nearest antecedent is what we're, we're pointing to. Yeah. Usually only those who hate the doctrine of Jesus' deity prefer not to apply this to Christ. And this brings us back to Romans 9.5. Speaking of the people of Israel, Paul said, Whose are the fathers, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. He's a Hebrew. Christ came, who is over all things. God, blessed forever. Amen. Someone who is not predetermined to reject the deity of Christ might skip over the statement of Jesus' authority over all things, arguing that this verse is saying nothing more than that Christ has been blessed by God. But those who are experts in Greek and honest with the statement and with themselves assert that Paul is saying Christ is the God who deserves all praise and blessings. The one worthy to be honored forever and ever. Don't let anyone twist those words in some other direction. They don't deserve to be twisted. Don't listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses and their kind who have been taught these lies that Christ is not God. Rather, listen to Paul. 1 Timothy 3.16 well-known scripture. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. These verses, this verse as far as I'm concerned is, is 
Crystal clear. God was manifest in the flesh. What flesh are we talking about? The flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish there were a hundred more verses like these, but as far as I'm concerned, these are sufficient to prove the deity of Christ. However, in addition to these, there are plenty of indirect statements which prove Jesus' deity. For example, there is the angelic method. Christ Jesus accepted the open ministry of angels like no one else ever has. Usually their service is behind the scenes. But in the life of Christ, these angels just kept popping up from time to time. That was because of the very special relationship that Christ had to these heavenly servants. But there's more. You don't need to turn there, but you can jot down Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Matthew 16, 27. For what is a man profited, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall get and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Or Matthew twenty four thirty one. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. What gives any mortal man the right to call the angels of God my angels? Nobody. Clearly, Jesus is no mere mortal. He is the God of these angels. He is the captain of the hosts of God. Thomas states and indirectly proves the deity of the Savior in John 20. You might turn there. I've got a couple of verses for you. John 20, verse number 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came, Tom, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of the disciples and said, Peace be unto you. Then he directed his attention to Thomas. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my wounded side. Be not faithless. But believing, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you who know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by faith. Where do we read of Jesus' rejection of Thomas' testimony and praise? He doesn't reject it because it's true. 
Either Christ is exactly what Thomas said, or else, again, he's a liar. And Christ is no liar. Now let's get a bit heavier. John 3. John chapter 3. We had reference to this chapter earlier. Verse number 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that cameth down from heaven, the Son of Man which is in heaven, referring to himself. How can Christ be both in Jerusalem and in heaven at the same time? There's only one answer. Through what is called the omnipresence of God. An attribute of the holy God. He is everywhere present at once. And in a very special way. Is that true of Christ Jesus? Then there's the indirect proof of Jesus' deity in his divine knowledge. John 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of Men, of any man, for he knew what was in man. Matthew 12, 25 says that Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. Luke 6, 8, Matthew 22, 18, Mark 2, 8, and other passages all say the same sort of thing. Christ's knowledge of people wasn't based on their facial expressions. It wasn't based on their bodily uh, uh, gestures or language. It wasn't a good guess. Christ could look into the very depths of their souls, just as he can yours. Listen to the testimony which the disciples gave in John 16, 29 and 30. First, Christ said, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. And his disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou art come forth from God. That last statement is a declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. Equivalent to deity. You and I might guess what's in another person's mind. The Lord knows what's in every heart, what's in every mind. How can the Bible call Jesus the Creator if He's not God? John 1 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, 
All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. We're talking about Christ here. It suggests that everything that was created was done so by Jesus, who here is called the Word of God. That also means that he did not create himself. Colossians 1.16 For by him, Christ Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made by him, all things were made for him, his glory. Doesn't this suggest that it was done by Jesus' hand? It doesn't suggest it. It declares it. What's the meaning of Colossians 2.9 if Jesus is not God? For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what's the meaning of Hebrews 1.3 if Jesus is not God? God, speaking of the Father, God the Father, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath, made, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, the owner of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Christ is the express image of God the Father. We'll never see the Father. The children of God shall see their Savior, the Lord Jesus yes. Christ, the Son of God. Yeah. All of these things are from the New Testament. We could take another lesson tying in the Old Testament scriptures which lend authority to what I've shared with you. But we won't do that. Some poet once wrote, probably it's a hymn. Like man he walked, like God he talked. His words were oracles, his deeds were miracles. Of God the true expression, of man the finest specimen. Full-orbed humanity crowned with deity. No trace of infirmity, no taint of iniquity. Behold the man. Behold thy God, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, all hail incarnate deity, Christ Jesus. Our opening scripture in Romans chapter 9, verse number 1, begins with the word, words, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Let me just quote John Gill's paraphrase of that verse. I swear by Christ, the God of truth, who is truth itself, and I appeal to him as the true God, the searcher of hearts, that what I now deliver is truth and nothing but truth, has no falsehood in it. This both shows that the taking of an oath is lawful and that Christ is truly God by whom only persons ought to swear. Let me conclude with one more argument of Jesus' deity. Some might say it's not 
as weighty as some of the others. Perhaps it's not. But to my heart, it is the most important argument of Jesus' deity. We know that Jesus is God through his forgiveness of my sins. The Bible says that in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Please turn to Mark 2. One more scripture. Mark chapter 2. Verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he was in a particular house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch as there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. He preached the gospel to them. Repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they come to him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born by four, four of his friends. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man speak thus blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus saw what was in their hearts, this wasn't spoken out loud, when he saw this, when he perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Which is easier for me? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he turned to the sick of the palsy and said, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thine own house. Very likely, there are a lot of people who wouldn't particularly care for this argument. But I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, because one day he said to me, Son, thy sins, which are many, I forgive. He has no right to do that if the sins were not committed against him. He is God. He forgave me all my sin and gave life to my sin-hardened, calcified heart. I used that word earlier. No priest could have done that. No mere religion was involved. There was certainly nothing that I was doing at the time. No psychiatrist could come along and take away from me the guilt that I felt at the time of my salvation. 
I was a wretched sinner. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How is Jesus Christ our Lord? He's the God of heaven and earth. He is the one against whom all our sin has been committed. And therefore, He is the one, the only one, who can forgive those sins against Him. We all come into this world under the condemnation of our sin. If you are still in that condemnation, under that condemnation, I implore you to look to Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the God-man who went to the cross and shed that blood that we heard about earlier this morning. Put your faith in Him for divine forgiveness. Trust Him for the life that only God can give. Eternal life. Repent before this holy God. Trust Him to redeem you, to deliver you. Call upon His name. Cry unto Him. Lord, I believe. Help Thou my unbelief. Give me the ability to trust Your finished work. Christ is the only hope that sinners like us will ever have. He is everything. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we, whereby ye must be saved. Only Christ Jesus. Please stand.